the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Hey, hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, here we go. Four o'clock hour. Football frenzy is here. Raiders mostly here. They were out at the facility in Henderson, so we'll get all the the news and notes and some of the quotes from some of the players on the scene. Obviously, big theme with the Raiders is the changes, maybe from a personnel standpoint, positioning standpoint on that Raiders defense. Adam Hill will check in. He was out there. First time the media could be out at the Henderson facility. So he'll check in with us in the 5 o'clock hour. NBA is tipping off right now, so we got some NBA coming up. Brian Blessing at the end of the hour. Of course, the news of the day around Las Vegas. Brian, hockey expert, gambling expert. He'll get us ready for the Knights in Game 6, a pivotal Game 6 against the Wild. Got to win this. Get out of this. No Game 7, no drama for the next couple days. Win it, finish it, get ready for the series against the Avs. Football frenzy time. So, of course, uh, us in the media are always looking for stories. And generally, OTAs shouldn't mean a whole lot in terms of stories. But the NFL has gotten so freaking big. It's just it's a year round machine. Uh, Funny, because we were just told a couple of years ago by a small minority, clearly a a vocal minority, but not a dedicated minority that uh, the NFL was going downhill. I'm not watching the league anymore okay well they got record money in their latest tv deal so you lied you did watch or you bailed and like four people walked in your place and replaced you because the nfl is chugging along and if you want full proof of why it's chugging along or how it's chugging along look at the appetite for nfl coverage in the offseason I mean, the draft is one thing. Okay, we get it. For half the league, the draft gives fans hope, right? So you can sell hope. So for those crappy franchises, and there's like 10 or 11 that, nah, maybe not 10 or 11, 7 or 8 that are constantly kind of lousy, hey, hope springs eternal with the draft. But if you had told me like five, ten years ago that OTAs would be big news, I'd said no way. But, you know, we're also talking about a year where we had COVID. So everything changed around the NFL in terms of access, stories, the way the teams operate, mostly remote. Now they're getting back to normal. So This year's OTAs are pretty big, and what it means is we get some quotes from people, some young guys who maybe are a little too bullish. I mean, I guess enthusiasm is not a bad thing in May, and enthusiasm from a squad that sucked ass a year ago, and I know know, full well about how much they sucked, uh, was wanting them to suck. Uh, The Jets won too many times and didn't get Trevor Lawrence. They get Zach Wilson. So, you know, getting out there, seeing the new-look Jets is a big deal for New York media. How about this headline that emerged today, or actually yesterday, but it was this morning it emerged, uh, from Jets camp, a 671-pound version of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen. 
New York Jets bullish on offensive line tandem. I'd, I'd never looked at Makai Becton, a freakish athlete at you know six seven six eight and at times over 400 pounds, but I never thought Pippen Jordan. But, uh, yeah, apparently Makai Becton now 6'7", 363 pounds. He shrunk, according to me, because I said he was 6'8". 6'7", 363 says that uh, he and his new running mate, rookie guard out of USC, Elijah Vera Tucker, they could be Jordan Pippen of offensive linemen around the National Football League. He tweeted out, quote, left side. This is all on tweet, by the way. It wasn't coaxed by the media, so he did this on his own. Uh, he said, Jordan and Pippen, mark my words. All right. Good deal. Good deal. By the way, Vera Tucker standing next to Beckton actually does not look that small. I guess you wouldn't expect a, a first-round pick who's going to play guard to look tiny next to Beckton, but pretty much everyone does, so he's a freaking monster. But, you know, hey, good for the Jets. At least they're excited. At least some of their young guys are excited. Again, hope springs eternal with the OTAs. Now, I just mentioned young guys. How about the old guys? So there's a bunch of old dudes right now who are not in any camp. And this happens every year. It's starting to happen more and more. And again, because of the COVID year and revenues being down and the salary cap being sliced a bit and you know, no massive growth in the salary cap coming up, a lot of old guys hit the market. A lot of old guys were cut. They were cap casualties. Don't have enough money. So if you're freaking out about who your team has, and I think the Raiders are pretty much up against it. Now, if they made some cuts, they could get involved on some of these guys. But because of the, the cap casualties, we're seeing massive names out there, and a lot of them are going to have to work on one-year deals and very much depressed deals. Now, Julio Jones will not. I think he's going to make less money. It's going to be spread out. Uh, there was a good story on ESPN.com predicting where the June 1 free agents, the June 1 old guys, they're not old, but most of them are, the June 1 veterans could land. Uh, first off, I think this one's crazy. Bill Barnwell predicted the Jaguars to get Julio Jones. Now, I guess in a way, if the Falcons wanted to get Julio, jo Julio Jones back for what he did the other day on Shannon Sharp's show, sending him to the Jaguars and a team that you know isn't going to win big for a couple of years would be a way to get him back. The proposal here would be the Jags get Julio Jones for a 2022 second and uh, Chenault, their young receiver, out of Colorado. I don't see that happening, but Bill Barnwell is more connected than I am around the National Football League, so maybe there's something in the works there. And then there's veterans all over the league who are available on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, he predicts go on short, defensive tackle. There's a bunch of defensive tackles here, so you know if the Raiders felt like they needed more, I don't believe they do. I think they like the mix, but Kawan Short, he has going to the Buffalo Bills. By the way, that was on the heels of also predicting Zach Ertz, tight end, to the Buffalo Bills. But Sheldon Richardson, solid player. DT going to the Saints. He's got Geno Atkins, DT, going on a super cheap deal to go back with his former DC, Mike Zimmer. Geno Atkins to the Vikings. Melvin Ingram. That, that one is worth watching. Worked with Gus Bradley last couple years in L.A., the prediction here is Melvin Ingram to the L.A. Chargers, staying with his current team on a, a one-year deal for $5.5 million. Kind of interesting yesterday. Rumor mill got 
revved up a bit as Melvin Ingram was working out with one of the Dolphins. So some people thinking, hey, Melvin Ingram could go down to play for Brian Flores in Dolphinland. And I think the two most glamorous names on this list, aside from the names I mentioned, like Ingram and Jones, predictions on Richard Sherman with the Niners, and then Todd Gurley. And if you missed our Seren Petro, Kansas City expert interview earlier in the show, the prediction here is Todd Gurley going to the Chiefs on a really small deal, you know, for a guy of that, you know, star power, a one-year, $1.1 million deal. Uh, Petro didn't think it it made a whole lot of sense, but the connection is there because the Chiefs have been mining veteran running backs and adding them to the roster the last couple of years. So, yep, the season freaking never ends in the NFL. Next week will be a big week. June 1, cut day, you know, we're gonna, we could see some trades. Aaron Rodgers could be available because he ain't available right now because of salary cap concerns, but Aaron Rodgers could be available next week. So next week will be another busy week, believe it or not, the beginning of June in the National Football League. We'll get our football insider in here next, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, calls the UNLV games. Uh, He'll give us his opinion on what's going to happen with Julio Jones and if Jones should want to go to the Patriots. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. Message to Trey Young uh, on behalf of the people of New York City and, and anyone who cares about actually playing basketball the right way. Stop hunting for fouls, Trey. Uh, I want to quote Steve Nash, one of the great player, great coach. He says, quote unquote, that's not basketball. He has been playing the right way. Looking for fouls is the right way to go. Shooting those threes is the right thing to do. Getting in the lane, dropping those floaters is the right thing to do. If you are the New York Knicks, you got to clamp down. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Yeah, we, uh, so often during the show, we roll live video, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch. So get on up there. You can watch our convo here coming up with Caleb Herring. My God, Bill de Blasio having a little bit of fun. What a bunch of curmudgeons out there ripping on de Blasio. Now, that's not Stephen A. He's a Knicks fan. He's having fun. He gets bombastic. He goes over the top. Uh, Knicks are going to start here against Trey Young in about 15 minutes early. NBA action. First tip of the day was Philly and Washington. Philly's up 13-12 on the Wiz. Caleb Herring, former football player. I know he's a big basketball fan as well. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm good. That Knicks, uh, Knicks-Hawks game of all games was my favorite game one of the playoffs, oh, yeah. right? Like, honestly. Great. Like, the fan atmosphere in Madison Square Garden was great. saw Trey Young play great. I think it was uh, Derrick Rose putting on a show, too. I mean, like you said, best time in sports right now is when playoffs are starting in any sport, really. But we got the NHL and NBA going on, so I'm, I'm a happy sports fan right now. Well, and the great thing about the Knicks being in, uh, one, you get a lot of loudmouths back involved in the playoffs. And reality is, of all cities in this country that know less about sports, it's New York. <laughs> and what I mean by that is they know less about stuff outside of their market. So, like, literally right. for a lot of the fans there, like, Trey who? Yeah, Trey Young. He's freaking <laughs> awesome. So if you don't know who he is as he's dropping 40 on you, learn basketball outside your own market. I think I think the definition of a flagrant foul has changed since the Knicks were in the playoffs. So it's, uh, it's a very different ball game for Knicks That's, fans right yeah. now. They're, like, why are they calling these fouls for him? Why is he getting 
what is that floater? He shoots from that far? Like, it's just a whole different ballgame to Knicks fans, right? They've been miserable up there in New York for like a decade. So, yeah, it's a, a new ballgame for Knicks fans for sure. Do you feel more comfy in what you saw out of your Lakers last night? I do, I do. But at the same time, I don't. I, I love that they played with a little bit more fire at times, and that's my biggest issue with the Lakers, with, with this LeBron-led Lakers team, is that the urgency and the fire isn't always there. I think LeBron has the switch. He can turn it on, but not everybody does. And I think Anthony Davis doesn't necessarily have that switch like LeBron does, um, which is frustrating to watch. And the ball, the lack of movement without the ball, I think uh, their offense is very stagnant at times, which I guess can be – a product of LeBron James and his greatness and kind of running the offense through him all the time. And then also just, I think, maybe a, a little bit better job of coaching up basketball instead of relying on being better than the guy you're lined up against all the time. But, you know, encouraged that they responded and came back and got a big win, um, even though, you know, it was minus Chris Paul, who can't seem to catch a break in the postseason as far as his injuries go. Um, but I did like the fire, I think, from the team that they showed in, in, in crunch time. So, um, good not to go down 2-0 to that team. I think uh, a really a really good outing in game two. Yes. Uh, on the betting front, very interesting. Yesterday, series price down one nothing. Lakers were minus 110. Uh, now it's 1-1. Lakers are minus 360. Are you that confident that you're willing to lay 36 <laughs> to win 10? Well, I, I mean, just on paper, I, I think the Lakers should sweep. Like, you know, just looking at the team, especially if Chris Paul's in Hellie, I think the Lakers sweeping uh, the Suns is, is, was my – prediction if the lakers came out locked in laser focused like they could and played to their potential every night i think they could sweep most of the teams in the western conference honestly and that's just you know the talent that they have at their disposal uh, i mean they're a championship team that in my opinion improved their roster with the addition of schroeder and drummond and harrell coming off the bench so i i mean that's just my talent on paper if that talent shows up night in night out, i don't know if i'd be willing to bet on on those odds but um, still a lot of work, a lot left to be desired from the Lakers as far as playing to their potential. So I'm not a betting man, but that that's even a, a little bit uh, a little steep for me. I, I wouldn't bet that much on the house for me. On the betting front, can't bet this in Vegas, but you can bet it in faraway places. The favorite to land Julio Jones are the Patriots. If you're Julio Jones, would the Pats be your first choice? Absolutely not. Um, for selfish reasons. I know you can point to the history of, of what the Pages have been able to do with older wide receivers. I mean, you go back to Tim Brown, um, but more recently Randy Moss and what he was able to do in that, that year that he had with Tom Brady and, and the kind of records that they set or the kind of displays they put on with the deep ball. I think you can point to that and say the Patriots know what they're doing. But it's a very different situation going to the Patriots. Um, I don't think they have, um, especially with Edelman retiring, I don't think they have the depth at receiver to give – Julio Jones, the space and opportunity he needs to, I think, be a, a dominant force. Um, and also with a question mark at quarterback as well. It's not the same situation going to New England as and as desirable a destination for a free agent wide receiver as it was when Randy Moss decided to do it. Um, if I'm Julio Jones, I'm looking for the place where I can go and benefit from the most. And I think, honestly, uh, that place outside of Green Bay, which I think uh, I don't think Green Bay will put, a, put together a package attractive enough to go get it. I would say Baltimore is a, a, actually a very attractive destination for me. Um, because of the way that the Ravens are built currently, the way that their uh, their offense is structured, Julio Jones will find himself single covered uh, versus single high safeties more often than not because of the threat that Lamar Jackson and that run attack present. Um, so while they don't pass the ball a lot with Julio, when they did pass the ball, he'd be getting the bulk of those, uh, of those targets 
against more singled up coverage than I think he's used to in his career. He's even at the age of 30 plus, he's getting safety coverage role too. Um, he's still a dominant force out there receiver. And I think in that offensive scheme, you just can't do that and account for Lamar Jackson. Um, if you're a defense planning for the Ravens, if that turned out to be the move. So if I'm, if I'm Julio, I'm looking for a situation like that where my career at age 32, where I benefit the most and have a chance to win now. Um, and also to, to still prove that I'm a dominant force at, at the age of 32. Uh, I think, the Ravens are a more attractive destination. I, even you know, with the efficiency of Derek Carr and and kind of with the weapons with Darren Waller and um, and the offensive weapons that if they were able to keep in a trade deal for him, I think would be more attractive uh, than going to the Patriots. I think the Patriots offensively are a big question mark, and I, I just don't see that being a desirable destination for a free agent like like Julio Jones of his caliber because basically sign up for double teams night in night out. I don't I don't think that's what you want to do at 32 years old right now. Caleb Herring's with us. Played football at UNLV, was a quarterback, calls the games for UNLV. Uh, you know, in just a couple of months, just a couple of months, it's back. We're going to get to the Rebels and uh, some of the schedule changes here inside of five minutes. But I want you, you're great at diagnosing kind of the X's and O's of football uh, and, you know, explaining the basics to fans out there. Uh, John Abram was talking at camp today about his move to box safety in Gus Bradley's defense. He said, it's more suitable to my talents and strengths. What's a box safety? Well, I completely agree. A box safety is, is kind of what you would refer to as a strong safety, right? Not necessarily a cover guy, but um, he's the added guy to the box to that to near the line of scrimmage um, to to help against run support, kind of be that alley player um, with less the added responsibility, pass coverage yeah, responsibility. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty much what his role should be. And I think as a cover safety, you saw a lot of the deficiencies in his game, um, the ability to cover and diagnose routes, uh, and concepts and, and be in the right place in coverage was a weakness in his game. And I think the athleticism, the downhill speed, um, the force he plays with, the aggressiveness, and the ferocity that he plays with, I think is more suited for a guy um, not quite big enough to be a linebacker, but for somebody to have his nose around the ball more often. I think that's what you do when you're a box safety. You're more involved with the action at the line of scrimmage, whether it's running the alley, making tackles in the run game, um, having a quarterback in quarterback spy situations, or even um, um, picking up shallow crossing routes and coming up and making those big hits that we see uh, a lot of safeties make when they're, they're heavy-hitting safeties. I think that's more his speed um, and more his skill set. That's what he's built for. That's how he plays, and that's his nature, is to be that aggressive downhill player. You can't be that at free safety. You can't be at cover safety and, and be that kind of aggressive player. And it's just that's, that was my opinion from last year. I mean, when you look at you know, his closing speed, when he's closing down and, and coming up on run fits, and, and his ability to blitz and time up blitzes. He's a great blitzing safety, but you can't always have your coverage safety in those blitz packages. Moving into the box, I think, allows for more freedom for him to move um, within uh, within the defense and to blitz if necessary, and also gets him less responsibility in the past where he's, I think, deficient as a cover safety. So uh, you see guys like Cam Chancellor um, who had success at that spot where not necessarily in coverage, not necessarily guarding receivers 20, 30 yards down the field, but coming up in run fits, being aggressive and being a presence in the box in that front seven, with that front seven, I think is more his speed. And I think he's right. He, I think he absolutely is more suited for that role. And I think he takes a big step as far as his production and his, uh, his, his value for the Raiders' defense at that box safety or strong safety position as opposed to being a free safety or cover safety. Another young player, first-round pick of the Raiders, who needs to step up this year is Cleve Furl. Uh, today, you know, first-time media got a chance to talk to the Raiders face-to-face -face at camp. 
Uh, he talked about the biggest change under Gus Bradley so far has been, quote, he wants to take a lot of the thinking out. His defense is built on guys making plays and getting turnovers. I feel like I've heard this a billion times from football players when they get new defensive coordinators. What exactly does it mean? Like, does that mean the that the past defense, there was way too much thinking and things that you had to process? Like, What does it mean to take the thinking out of it? Yeah, I think it, it, it's a true statement. I think especially on the defensive side, um, the less you're thinking, the more you're acting and just playing naturally in the flow of football as an athlete. The, the less you're thinking and the more you're doing that and reacting in the game, I think the better you'll play and the more you perform to your physical capability, which is what football is. It's the ability to physically either dominate your position or make the tackle, make the catch, whatever. The less you're thinking, the, the more capable you are doing that. I think a lot of times with defensive coordinators, especially a new system coming in, um, coordinators and coaches try to scheme the solutions and scheme every answer, every possible answer to the play that the office is going to run, right? Like you'll have four different jobs and four different keys that you're reading on every given play that will indicate what you're supposed to do. Um, if the guard blocks down, you do this. If the tackle pulls, if there's a reach block on you, this is your, your, your responsibility. Sometimes I think it's better or it, it, it helps to have your players just an ability to go against the guy in front of you, win that one-on-one matchup, and go to the football. And sometimes when you do that, you get the best out of your players. You get the most out of the guys who are just talented, and you get the most out of their natural talent. Um, and, and one of the, the, the areas and the more, I guess, revolutionary areas of the game where this is exploited is when the read option um, was introduced to football. Um, and, you know, back in you know, the veer option back in the day, but when now the out of shots on the read option where the defensive end is literally not blocked, um, and all that is holding him back from making a tackle on the running back or the quarterback is him thinking about who has the ball, making him make a decision on if he's going to chase the running back or the quarterback. And most of the time when this play was first introduced, you'd see defensive ends freeze and not do anything because they were just thinking. Um, and that's kind of the, the most open example of it, of what a defender's talking about when he says he doesn't want to think. If you tell a defensive back when you go up against a, read, uh, a zone read offense, you're tackling the running back no matter what, and you watch the difference in how he attacks aggressively and goes and creams those running backs, completely different, as opposed to when you tell him to think and try to read it and slow play it is the term they use, and, and use your mind to kind of to manipulate that situation, you end up freezing a lot of times. So it's true you want to let pull back the reins a little bit and let your players go and let them play and react as natural football players and use their physical ability to win those one-on-one matchups and make tackles in open space, create turnovers, and wreak havoc. Um, but at the same time, you, you do want to teach some sort of scheme and technique. So I do agree that it can benefit. And with Gus Bradley, like Cleef Farrell said, it, it definitely is one of the things he feels, that he's not thinking as much. He's able to just play and rely on his natural talent to win his matchups. And I think you do want that, especially when you got guys like Cleef Farrell and not to mention John Abrams, who is one of those players you want to just let go and not have him think too much. I think it does benefit to have a scheme that's, uh, that's less about thinking and more about your physical ability. Caleb Herring's with us. Let's talk about uh, UNLV football schedule changes that were released today. So they're going to open on a Thursday and now with uh, added TV. And that's a good thing. That's what the program wants. They want exposure. So a ton of games now on CBS Sports Network. But what that means is they've now got three games in conference on Fridays. So September 24th, Friday at Fresno State, October 29th, Friday at Reno, which Kind of sucks in a way. Always like that game to be at the end of the season. And then the season closer is Friday at Air Force, November 26th. Um, 
So that there's there's two ways to look at this. You you will be playing on a short week because they have Saturday games before that, but then you get a long week after because then you play the following Saturday. How do players look at this? So that's the first thing. I, I want to know how the players look at the Friday games, the exposure, but the short week. I think it, I think the exposure part of it, especially the Thursday games to open the season. I know I've, I've played in a Thursday game to open the season where you're kind of the first game on, right? Everybody has that itch to watch college football. So you know if you're on a national TV slate, um, which I have been before on a Thursday night game, um, then you know you're going to have eyes on you. You want to really show out and show up for, you know, for the fans watching and things like that. So there is that aspect of it. Um, Friday games and Thursday games are a chance, as a, especially a smaller school, to get the spotlight and, and have eyes on you on a national scale and kind of make a name for yourself if, if you ball out, so to speak. So as a player, you're thinking that. That's definitely in the back of your mind. Um, it is a little different, I think, on the front end to get a shorter week of preparation. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it kind of helps because you have to lock in and laser in a little bit quicker. You don't have a, a lot of time to, I guess, uh, you know, Friday is usually a walkthrough day, kind of a, a, a non-work day anyway. Um, so you're not doing much Friday except for trying to not be distracted or limit the distractions, usually being around the team all day and, and walkthroughs and meetings and stuff at the hotel or, or wherever if you're at home. Um, just trying to lock in. And Friday is kind of a, a, a an anxious day when you're just kind of waiting for game day. So being able to let it all out on Friday instead of, you know, waiting the, that day until Saturday or Saturday night um, may be beneficial in some ways. And then having that extra day of, you know, recovery on Saturday where you get to chill and, and, and watch the other college games around the country that maybe you don't normally get to watch because you're prepping for your own game. That's kind of a, a cool little perk of playing on Friday as well. You get your weekend, so to speak. College athletes, college football players do not have a weekend during football season. So you get to, you know, observe and watch the other guys around the country. So there's benefits to it that may be not schematic. Um, but like you said, that extended week of preparation for the next opponent, if you don't have back-to-back Friday games or if you don't have another short week turnaround for that, that does benefit the coaching staff. You can take Saturday as coaches to give the players a day off and, and not have them come into the facility and just really focus on breaking down and game planning for that next opponent, that extra day does help. And, you know, if you come up against somebody who's coming maybe off of a short week themselves, then you'll take any added benefit you can get, especially if you're UNLV um, looking to make some noise with, you know, first-time full offseason um, and really trying to have your, your, your season turn around from last year. Any little edge you can get will be beneficial. So, um, And then, like you said, the national spotlight, I think, is the biggest thing for UNLV, making this adjustment, getting on CBS for seven games, uh, this season is, is huge. The exposure factor for Allegiant Stadium, of course, is, I'm, I'm sure has a lot to do with it. But then for a new program, a new look for Coach Arroyo, and, and really trying to trying to make a name for themselves in the college football landscape, especially in the Mountain West, I think making that adjustment to those games is worth the, the, the sacrifice or the downside when you look at the pros that come along with it as well. Last two minutes. I mean, you know, again, the the exposure is great. The sucky part is all all Friday games. All the games that got changed to Fridays are 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 road games. So that's that's kind of tough. <laughs> yeah. The over under win total was released for UNLV uh, by one sports book. They haven't at one and a half. My God, there's not two wins. There's not three wins. There's not four wins on this schedule. Yeah, it's it's kind of tough. I, in my opinion, because last it, I think this number is based on last year. Obviously, when you know when the season. Um, and I think, you know, taking into consideration the fact that uh, UNLV didn't have those non-conference games to lean on, number one, where, you know, you maybe have a lesser opponent that you maybe feel a little bit more evenly matched with. And then on top of that, the, the kind of schedule, would, whether we predicted it or not, knew it going into the season, um, that UNLV played last season, the games that they did play in the Mountain West 
were pretty much the top teams in the conference. I mean, if you go look at the, the results and where everybody finished in the conference, where San Jose State finished, uh, was not expected. San Diego State, of course, um, is always a, a top dog. Reno and the, the talent that they had last year, and, of course, Fresno State. Those teams that they did play in conference were the top dogs of the conference, uh, so to speak. And, and you know, the, the winnable games that they had on schedule, uh, I, I guess Colorado State would, would be considered one of those that were canceled because of COVID. So um, there, there wasn't a lot of space to, to, for error. And, of course, the, 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 the pandemic impacting every team differently UNLV, I think, took a, a very heavy impact. And I think betters and, and the line, the odds makers are really taking that heavy into consideration when they lay that number out there. But there's the Eastern Washingtons, the Texas San Antonios of this year, the New Mexico, the Utah States of this year that are also struggling teams in the Mountain West where if you, you could see if UNLV performed like they did for half of the game in Fresno State where they were competitive up until halftime in Fresno State, you could see them pulling those wins out. Um, of course, it's never a sure thing. We haven't seen the team live. We don't know what the product looks like. Um, but with the, the guys returning, like Charles Williams, um, the guys that they've added to the roster and who are looking to make improvements, I think UNLV could say confidently that they've upgraded and they've improved from last season, um, even just looking at what they've done so far with spring ball. Um, so come the fall, we'll see what the finished product was. But I, I, it's shocking to see that somebody would put that – over under for win totals at that low of a mark, and like you, like I said, you gotta you gotta think that they leaned heavily on 2020 and what happened last year for UNLV, and and not so much of an optimistic outlook for how many games they can win this year. I, I think I take the over if if I'm a betting man. I, I take the over on one and a half really for anybody, but especially with the situation that we have at UNLV, I think I think I take the over on the one and a half. Well, you you can be a betting man, Caleb. You're you're in Las Vegas. I mean, if you need me to run the bet for you, I'll, we're going to be at Silver Sevens tomorrow, so I can put it in at William Hill. Well, when it's up, when it's up, I'm not. I don't think it's up yet, but when it's up, if it's one and a half, I'll get some money down for you. Is that cool? Hey, man, I'll take it, man. I, you know, I'll do what I can. I'll I'll, I'll I'll lean on your expertise in the area. I'm not. I it's don't your really understand it yet. <laughs> I'm in Vegas. It's your expertise. You know, Vegas, betting for me as a student athlete was like like don't do it. Stay out of casinos. Okay. I, I still live with the scars of, of wondering what would happen if I placed the bet, you know, as a student athlete and the rules that are broken. Now, now betting's kind of embraced nationwide. It's just a different landscape that I'm used to. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll get into it. And maybe, maybe you've encouraged me here with this segment, Steve. Maybe, uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll place the bet for you, and then I won't give it to you until they win the second game. It'll be a nice little prize after that game, a little present. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I like that idea. We might, we might have to make that happen. All right, Caleb. Good job, buddy. Talk to you. All right, talk to you later, man. Have a good one. There he is, Caleb Herring, former quarterback for UNLV, calls the games now, and he's uh, great on the NFL, great with the X's and O's. Really good spot there, big Laker fan as well. Fat Pack is coming up. Another devastating day without a microwave for Ari. The phones are always open on Cofield and Company. Call 702-364-1100 now. We don't mess around when it comes to food. It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. You see a pair of laughing eyes. And I mean, that's not true for everybody on the show. The line about not messing around when it comes to food. There are some who are really not taking this whole thing seriously, don't take their food very seriously. Uh, oftentimes, this. Fat Pack turns into hashtag will Ari eat it because he's got such a limited diet. So we got a couple of things here. We're now about six days in to the crisis at the Ari home. He pointed out last week that his microwave is on the fritz. It ain't working. 
It ain't working. He's not getting a new one. So I scolded him a couple days ago, and I was like, listen, to heat stuff up, you know, there were no microwaves, some whatever, you know, 40, 50 years ago, people found ways to heat stuff up, and you've been you've been creative. So I think you've crossed that barrier. You can heat up most stuff. But then there are things that are so easy to cook in a microwave that you're missing out on. You ready for this one? Oh boy. Here's the rage on TikTok. There's always a new food hack or food discovery on TikTok. Headline, TikTok loves this microwave s'mores maker, and it's a steal I'm in. to buy it online. Well, first of all, hashtag will already eat it. I feel like you'd be anti-s'more. You'd be an anti-s'morer. Are you kidding? You'd be an anti-s'moreserer. It's amazing. Uh, no, I'm so pro s'mores. That's that's perfect. Chocolate marshmallow graham cracker. That's it. Now, if you want to start adding bacon and do all these weird things that you guys like to do, I'm out. But the the you know authentic s'mores, authentic. The word Adam loves it. So would it be would it be rubbing salt in the wound if we actually? Didn't hook you up with a microwave, but got you the microwave s'mores cooker. And you just have to sit on it and look at it and go, man, that'll be good when I get the microwave maybe a year from now. <laughs> Can I cook anything? It's it's pretty. I don't I'll have to get the picture up, but it's uh, it's very much only for s'more, like that specific thing. You yes. can't really finagle. It's a, it's a specialized s'mores maker. Now, here's the alternative. Uh, one of the big box stores is actually selling pre-made s'mores. And... They can go in the air fryer. Ooh, which I also don't have. You still don't have an air fryer. Well, there wasn't. I, I didn't know that was part of the show. I thought it was just a coincidence that you and uh, Adam have one. But wow, yeah, I didn't know. No microwave. <laughs> no air fryer. What a loser. The guy produces a big man. No, not really. Uh, he produces a show. Cofield and Company. We got to get moving on this. I mean, where sales? Come on. Can they hear me? Oh Let's yeah. Go. They're all they're the all guy, at the door right now, just trying to knock down the door of the studio to get in here. The guy needs kitchen instruments. He needs implements of cooking. Please hook him up. Please. Uh speaking of hooking up. That was a terrible transition. Oh, I'm scared to see what's on the other end. Vegas Golden Knights need to hook up Shea Theodore in better positions. He's got to start helping. He's got to start helping on offense. That's gonna be a big key tonight for the Vegas Golden Knights to close out the wild. Brian Blessing. Gambling and hockey expert is up next to talk all about the pressure of this game six. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting. Let's figure out which way to go with this Golden Knights game tonight. Get into the nuts and bolts of the game. Brian Blessing is awesome on hockey. He does a show on Sports Grid. That's Sirius XM 204. Brian, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, Steve. Mr. Cofield, you na- uh, nailed it there in the last segment. Uh, Theodore is a big deal here. Not just tonight or Friday, but big picture. They got to get this guy going. So what's been going on? What are you saying? Well, it depends how the games are flowing. I'm not a fan at all of the pairing when he's out there, when he puts him with Petrangelo. It's like Shea Theodore doesn't move his feet, and he defers to Petrangelo. 
Theodore's game is give me the puck, lug the mail. I mean, they, they got to let him loose, and he's got to start jumping in the play. Right now, he's, he seems to be kind of caught in no man's land. Is that on Theodore or is it on Petrangelo? I don't know. Uh, well, no, actually, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to say DeVore. I don't know uh, in terms of are they telling him to lay back? And then the weird dynamic is that at some point, if indeed when they're together to a degree, Petrangelo's holding him back, there's going to come a time when Petrangelo's going to be saying, hey, i got to get Theodore going, and then Petrangelo's going to get kind of caught in no man's land. I just think you split these guys up. I know you put them out there together when you're chasing the game, but for the most part, I just think Theodore has to get involved. He's got to start jumping in the play. We know what he's capable of, but when the Golden Knights offense gets sketchy, you got to get help from the blue line, and he's the guy to do it. Brian Blessing on the Knights. We'll get his angles on a little bit of golf betting and also what happened last week in golf in just a couple minutes. All right. Uh, I don't even know if it's the story of the day because I don't know what the Knights were doing this morning. What exactly happened this morning with, you know, skating off the ice and the timing of it with Flurry and Leonard? Oh, I don't know. Ari's a really good producer. Can he get murder mystery music up really quickly? <laughs> I, you know, it's it's nonsense. It's It's not like, oh, both guys stepped off the ice at the same time that, like, Evanson's going to call all the wild players and go, forget your afternoon nap. Get over to the rink. We're going to have a meeting. I'm like, stop. It's ridiculous. Would you start Leonard? I mean, the, the rotation was working. A well-rested flurry was great. He's been very good in the series. He was not very good in the first period last time out. I mean, would this be crazy for DeBoer? He's the boss. You make bold moves sometimes to go, you know what? We got game seven. If we need it, Flurry can play then. Let's get Leonard out there and get Flurry a little bit of rest. He's the guy. If he did it, he's got the guts of a burglar, but he'd be teeing himself up like a Titleist if it went pear-shaped. Here's the thing. (laughs) Now you're dealing with, if you throw Leonard in there and whatever, he has a bad night, you're dealing with the rink rust. And you're like, well, why did you do that? Personally, I think if they get the win tonight or Friday, I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world to play Leonard in game one against the Avs. And I'm not putting the cart before the horse because they ain't by these guys yet. But at some point, you better get Leonard some work. You know, it's interesting with the goalies when, you know, a good number is put up there in terms of, you know, um, a small number of goals by the opposition. Everyone goes crazy and they're like, great game, great game, right? In the case of Talbot, he faced a ton of shots. But I also, you know, if you're watching the game, there were a lot of times where Talbot was like turning to his left, turning to his right, you know, with his head because shots were just blowing by him, not on net. What do you think of the quality of the shots? There were a lot of shots, but what about you the quality it. of the shots by the Golden Knights? Bingo, Mr. Cofield. I called you Mr. Cofield twice, three times now. Sorry. Respect. I'm telling you, you've nailed it. 22 to 1. You wake up. The day after the game, read the boxer. Oh, Vegas killed them. I don't want to hear the goalie stole the game. The shots may have been twenty-two to one, but the quality shots in the period may have been three to one or four to one, something like that. And oh, by the way, Minnesota got themselves a two-goal lead, and by design, they packed it in and had four goaltenders out there in front of Talbot. Right. So they right. changed the way they played. Don't tell me the goalie stole the game. That's not what happened. Why do we see these scoring droughts from a team that was so efficient scoring, you know, much of the year outside of the power play? Why do we see these scoring droughts from the Golden Knights? I couldn't even 
dream of coming up with an answer. But the crazy thing is coming into the playoffs, you're sitting there going, what is Vegas's chink in the armor? You know, and after the game, they said, we all, we'd have won this nine times out of ten. And if we keep playing like that, we'll be fine. But that game, if you put Canucks jerseys on the wild, that was the bubble last year. That was the game that cost them the President's Trophy against the Avs. You outshoot the team mightily, but the other team beats you. You know, they, as a group, kind of go quiet offensively. I don't know if they start squeezing the stick. I just think Vegas has to play the smart road game, get down and dirty, and, you know, when they're home, they play a little too fancy. And, oh, by the way, if Minnesota's got a brain in their head, they play this game tonight like it's a road game because that's when they're really good. I think it's a low-scoring game, Steve. I think both teams play chip and chase and play it close to the vest. And the one thing that's different tonight, not that it's going to exactly happen like this, but it's been whoever scores first, the other team bounces back and then gets going. I think tonight the first goal is a monster. I think the team that gets the lead tonight's in really good shape. Brian Blessing on Cofield and company. Playoffs in general, are we seeing the officials a little too involved, especially when it comes to goaltender interference? Oh, yeah. I mean, and last night, Carolina and Nashville, you should have seen the penalty they called on Carolina in the corner away from the play. It wasn't a penalty in the first period, let alone overtime. And then they turned the clock back like it was Stonehenge and did the NHL makeup call in overtime, and Carolina scored the winning goal on four on four. Stay out of the way. Let the players decide the thing. So golf weekend coming up. I want to pick for uh, the tournament, but I want you to go back. Did you you know anyone who had the the two fifty, you know, two eighty, three hundred to one on Phil? No, not that price. And I'm kicking myself. Friday thought about it at fifty to one, didn't do it. But if I was going to lose money, that was a treat to watch. It was it was pretty special. I can't believe he's playing this week. Uh, you would think this would be the fade to the moon matchups, whatever that. It you know took a physical and a mental toll on him, but it was truly special. But this this is a good tournament. It's a great field and some good price plays too. You got one. I heard you guys talking about it today on uh, on Sports Grade on Sirius XM two hundred four and and locally on K Shop. Did you guys come up with a good pick? Yeah, I mean I've got several. I mean of the chalky guys, Abraham answers really close. I think Kucher his game is close and fits this course. And Kokrak almost won the thing last year. He's another one. But the guy I'm playing at 70-1, to 1, I can't believe the price. Ryan Palmer is a much better golfer today than he was the last several years. He is a member at Colonial. He knows every blade of grass at this place. On that alone, he should be 45-50-1, and he's 70-1. to 1. So I'd say Ryan Palmer's the grenade. Brian, I should have asked you this off the air, but I'll do it, I'll do it on the air. You, are you out and about sure. tonight with a viewing party? You got something coming up? I am on my patio, going to sit back, relax, and, and enjoy. We had a great time, Steve. Thanks last week for helping us plug the uh, watch party we did at Sunset Station, bud. And I got to tell you, it was so cool to see people that you hadn't yep. seen in over a year. And, you know, other than the result of the game, it was a treat to do something that was really normal. All right, Brian. Good stuff, man. The show I, the show is uh, chugging along, man. That's a good show. I was listening to a lot of it today. It was really good. So we appreciate you joining our show. Thank you. Thank you, pal. Anytime. There he is, Brian Blessing, gambling expert, hockey expert, uh, longtime voice up in Buffalo around the Sabres and giving us some time every Wednesday 
uh, to join Cofield and company. All right, Big Five is on the way. We're going to check in with Adam Hill, who was out at Raiders camp today, and we'll get an update on what's going on with Braden McNabb of the Golden Knights. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota running like a Toyota.